Hey there, stranger. Welcome to our home. Come on in and enjoy the hospitality on another episode of Concessions. We're going to be tearing into Adam Wingard's The Guest. This episode holds a major distinction in the annals of Concessions. Back when Dan and I first started writing dueling essays on films and jumping onto Zoom calls to dig into them together, the very first film we covered was The Guest. Eventually, that project evolved into this podcast, so we're thrilled to circle back to this immensely fun movie. One thing I have to point out is that in the opening moments of this episode, I mention Godzilla Minus One being new in theaters, which it was back in December when we were recording this. But it's been such a hit that it's still in theaters today as of the release date uh, in mid-February in the form of Godzilla Minus One Minus Color. In the old days, it wasn't unusual at all for movies to have a theatrical run going several months or more, but in the post-COVID age of streaming and VOD, it's become pretty rare to see a movie with the legs that Godzilla Minus One has had, so I thought it was worth mentioning. The narrative also fits really well since Adam Wingard, who directed the guest, is the current steward of the American Godzilla franchise with his Godzilla X-Kong The New Empire dropping a bit later in 2024. I'm hoping his status as blockbuster filmmaker affords him opportunities to return to his roots and make more films like The Guest. If you like the podcast, please give us a follow and a rating and turn on all notifications so you don't miss our new episodes, which drop every single Monday with bonus content coming out some Fridays. You can find us on the socials. I'm on threads at Jared Concessions. Dan is on X at Dan Concedes. But for now, come on in, grab a beer, and get to know the whole family as we get cozy with Adam Wingard's The Guest. Welcome to Concessions. I'm Dan. And I'm Jared. And we're going to have to beat off a lot of American men. It's tales all this time. I've been beating off American men for... 31 years now so i can do it for another day well it's a competitive world out there in a lot of american men film podcasting a lot of american men to beat off to get our moment oh. of spotlight and especially let's not even consider the international circuit of podcasting there's a lot of men to beat off there too they don't count america is the world <laughs> uh, but yeah jared what are what you sipping on here as you're preparing to beat off some dudes Oh, I've got the manliest, most Americanist, just red blooded. Hell yeah, hell uh, yeah. Watermelon White Claw. Oh fuck yeah! I I can hear an eagle screaming as you're sipping that. Mmm, so good, so good, <laughs> so good for me. Mm. Well, I mean, watermelons. That's that's a fruit. Vitamins, nutrients. Absolutely. I think you could probably just live off of white claw if you had to for a little while one way to find out no i don't think i will (laughs) (laughs) i think i'm gonna wake up i'm gonna have a nice greek yogurt strawberry cereal perfect white claw with some white claw just drizzled in for just a little bit of seasoning cool uh what about you what are you sipping on I got a nice uh, big old gin soda with a little bit of bitters thrown in just for a little bit of spice. And I like whenever I throw in some bitters, you know, gin, clear, soda, clear. But then the bitters makes it a fun color. It's To me, on camera, it almost looks red. But is it actually more of just a very light brown? No, it's like a 
almost salmon colored to my eyes at this point. Yeah. It yeah, looks uh, deep red. Yeah, Angostura is usually more of a red. I don't I don't think it usually comes out brown. I mean, it might seem that way because you're usually throwing it in whiskey. Right, yeah, that makes sense. It doesn't do a lot to change the color of a whiskey in, in an old-fashioned. Right, right. But yeah, it's a tasty little drink. Um, you know, great winter drink, gin. That's what people think of when they think of winter. Yeah, it keeps you nice and toasty. Not mm. refreshing at all. Warm on a cold, cold San Diego night. Yeah, you, you're rather bundled up for San Diego right now. You, <laughs> Dan is wearing a beanie. He's got a hoodie on. He my, looks so cozy. My northern ancestors would be frowning upon me now. I've definitely gone soft where, uh, you know, grew up in Chicago until I was about 18, then moved down to the south, and then throughout my travels now eventually in California. I've definitely, I, I would be nervous to see how I would survive a cruel northern winter at this point. I've lost my edge. Well, you don't have to. You don't ever have to come back to <laughs> places with seasons if you don't want to. It only costs eight thousand dollars a month to do it. You know, oh, it's a steal. It's a steal. <laughs> so never mind about the temperatures that we're feeling or the liquids that we're consuming. Dan, what is a movie that you watched this past week, or a book that you read, or something else that you know made your life better? What was it that you consumed into the brain? Oh, my brain's uh, horizons were real broadened where um, an author and just kind of, I guess, historian uh, would be the best way to put him. His name's Vijay Prashad. Um, he's got a great book that he got famous for or not famous, but like it's just his biggest one. And I, I'd read some of his other stuff, especially some of his commentary. And eventually I got down to like his main source text. And it's called The Darker Nations, A People's History of the Third World. And he's purposely going with the title, like trying to uh, hearken back to Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States, where he follows the history of like the non-aligned movement, the global south, the third world, why that phrase even exists, like what brings them all together? How are they different nuances them and pretty much takes us through the entire 20th century with uh, the third world. And I, I do appreciate that he really owns the label of the third world, where I feel like nowadays, like we call it the global South, like it feels like a little derogatory to call it the third world, but he, he kind of celebrates it and, and shows how there have been all these, uh, all these acts of solidarity among different countries who have very different ideologies, but they're, they're united in, uh, you know, trying to shirk the shackles of colonialism and what that looks like, how it's messy. Um, and brings like a very, a very human look at this history that especially for us Westerners, like whenever you learn about uh, history outside of the US, so like, you know, South America, Asia, Southeast Asia, Africa, it's like, oh, it's just chaos. And like, I don't know what's going on down there. And, you know, it's just wild where he really grounds it and shows like, this is a very rich culture. This is a very storied history of very like really intelligent, really well thought out people with really built out ideas, trying these projects out, trying to essentially advance humanity and the good, bad and the ugly that comes from it. And it's like this really fascinating, I would say, primer of the history of everywhere outside of, you know, the US and Europe. Uh, I would recommend it to anyone who has an interest in history outside of their own perspective. Oh, that's amazing, man. I would I would love to read that. Will you send that to me like on Libby or something like that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, it might be on and I've been singing the praises to him the last couple of days. My God, Spotify's audiobook selection. 
I didn't realize it was as yeah. good as it was. But um, but it's it pricey compared to the library, which is free. It is very free, but I'm paying for Spotify anyways. So like if it's there, then sure, cool. Yeah, I am also paying for Spotify and it's not there because I'm on a big family plan and I have a family uh, that likes to take in audiobooks. Oh, look at me. I'm, I have a family. I'm Ooh. just left with the scraps. This is an extended family. No one, no one in my household is on this. Uh. It's on the Spotify plan. It's my chosen family plan. <laughs> I actually, uh, I would have to check. I think I'm still technically on the student plan. I would have to check that. Spotify, don't come after me, please. I love. Oh man, discount. it took me forever to stop using my student IDs to get discounts at places. <laughs> Um, but what about you? What have you uh, taken into your your mind and your soul that has enriched you in the last week? What I the best movie that I watched is something that similarly takes a place that isn't just the West, um, and during a time period where I I haven't been exposed to much media that covers it and kind of gives me a perspective, you know, other side of the coin perspective that I hadn't seen before. And of course, I'm talking about motherfucking Godzilla minus one. Oh my God, this movie just absolutely puts Hollywood blockbuster filmmaking of the last 20, 30 years to absolute shame. It is so good. And, you know, from, from the very beginning, back to the 50s, there's always been Japanese Godzilla movies and American Godzilla movies, like the kind of the American, the first American version of, of Gojira is a very different movie than oh. the original Gojira. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously that they've become even more, uh, you know, fractured more recently, like back in the nineties with like the just terrible Matthew Broderick one um, that was just a standalone all on its own. Um, the more recent ones, the one that was done by uh, what's his name? Is it, is it Gareth Edwards or Gareth Evans? I always forget. Oh, which one is the Godzilla one guy. And, well, no, 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 just Godzilla. Um, and then Godzilla King of the Monsters. Is it Gareth Edwards? Yeah, I think it's Gareth Edwards and he did Rogue One. Yeah, um, I always mix him up with Gareth Evans, who's the guy that did the raid in the raid too. But yeah, that one and like actually the more recent ones, direct, written and directed by Adam Wingard, who we're here to talk about tonight. Um, not not as good as the more recent Japanese Godzilla movies, like uh, Shin Godzilla from several years back, and now Godzilla minus one. Those two movies are the two best Godzilla movies, even better than the original, even better than um, you know really classic. Toho ones like Godzilla versus Mothra and those ones, but I grew up watching Godzilla. I saw, I saw and loved that Matthew Godzilla, Matthew Broderick Godzilla movie in the theaters. My older brother had like box sets of every Godzilla movie, and we would watch them oh, constantly. Pretty sure I've seen every single Godzilla movie at least two or three times. Other than actually, I haven't seen the Adam Wingard ones. Like he he did Godzilla versus King Kong recently, and then. The new one that's coming out next year, also directed by Adam Wingard. Haven't seen those, but man, Godzilla Minus One kicks so much ass. It's scary like it should be. Godzilla is actually a threat and not like an anti-hero in it. He is the villain. Mm. It takes place in immediate post-World War II Japan, where Japan is already just, you know, in shambles. And then Godzilla shows up to fuck them up even worse. <laughs> The main character is a kamikaze pilot who oh, wow. chickened out Ooh, and didn't cool. die. So he's been dishonored. Speak like speaking of like you were telling me about watching uh Harakiri, all about Sapoku and like, you know, honorable suicide and whatnot. Uh yeah, so 
obviously there's a lot of uh there's a lot of baggage in japan about that sort of thing so he shows up everyone he knows knows that he was a kamikaze pilot and he left not supposed to have have come back mm-hmm. they're all dealing with like why are you here and my son isn't you mm-hmm. know? Um, that's where we start and his whole, his whole story of he, him having be the, having to be the one that goes up against Godzilla. It's fucking fantastic. And, uh, the movie was made on a very modest, modest budget and it absolutely puts every 250 million just pile of dog shit, you know, Disney produced movie of the last few years, just to shame. And, um, it's going to be in theaters up until I think December 14th right now. Uh, that's a week from when we're recording this episode. And um, yeah, Dan, I would recommend that you go out to the theater to see it if you can. And, yeah, at uh, least you're on a big ass screen. Yeah, whoever's, whoever's <laughs> listening to this, if you haven't seen Godzilla Minus One yet, you have any interest in just big blockbusters, action movies uh, that also have great characters. If you like kaiju movies, if you like to see monsters just fucking shit up, this movie is for you, uh, and then some. So good, Godzilla minus one. But we're not here to talk about Japanese movies. We're we're here to talk about we're here to talk about a filmmaker who's making the American Godzilla movies these days. Um, but uh, one of his very modestly budgeted movies that was a sort of a you know his directorial audition for these big budget Hollywood movies, a t- 2014 movie called The Guest, uh, which is directed by Adam Wingard, who we mentioned. Uh, written by his constant collaborator Simon Barrett, who I think after the guest they made one or two movies. Uh, Wingard made one or two movies without Simon Barrett, but I think Simon Barrett and he worked on the Godzilla scripts together. Mm. Uh, this movie uh, has a star turn by Dan Stevens, another star turn by Micah Monroe, mm-hmm. uh, and then also a, a memorable supporting performance by Reston Power to the the great Lance Reddick. Yeah. Um, in uh, just a role that absolutely plays to his strengths. He's so <laughs> he's so fun in this movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this movie and It Follows came out within like months of each other. And Micah Monroe is still around, still making movies all the time. She's going to reprise her role in uh, They Follow next year. Right. Um, from It Follows. And uh, on the flip side, you know, Dan Stevens is... Uh, He's been in some some good stuff and like some fun stuff since the guest, but a little bit later, I want to talk about a little bit more just about how good he is in this movie and like why he isn't like an A list like Hollywood action star yet. But Dan, uh, what was your previous relationship with the guest uh, with uh, this director at all, uh, Adam Wingard? Um, and actually, you know, this might be a good time for you to kind of explain a little context. Mm-hmm. of this conversation and a little bit about maybe a little peek behind the scenes for our listeners on kind of how this conversation about the guest is a little bit um, unique, special, special to both of us. Yeah, actually the, the fun context about this where we're recording this on December 7th and this was the first movie that we officially decided to talk about at all together where we didn't know if this was going to be a blog or a podcast or just, you know, just something evolving out of us just randomly texting each other back and forth. Like, I saw a good movie. It has this. Oh, I saw that movie, too. That's good. Fun. Um, When we decided to actually do this in like some sort of structured way, uh, the first movie that we decided to sit down and watch simultaneously and then come back and talk to one another was The Guest, which is on which was Jared's recommendations like this is. 
correct me if I'm wrong, this is one of those movies like, I love this movie. It doesn't get the attention it deserves. So I want to force it upon everybody I know so that we can talk yeah. about it together. Where I had never heard of this movie before. Um, and because if it, yeah, it didn't quite get a lot of fanfare. It's definitely something that people who are in the know know about it, but I was not someone who was in the know. Uh, so we watched it, and this was when all we were doing is we wrote like little essays to each other. We were pen palling to one another, and then we would essentially hop on uh, a Google Hangout like we are right now, but not recording, and just kind of talk about our ideas and talk about what we thought about the movies. And very much in the idea of concessions, the idea was one of us was going to uh, concede to the other one and then write an essay saying how their opinion has changed. And that was like the whole birth of this entire project. Um, so yeah, I had never heard of the guest, um, Adam Wingard. I had seen, uh, some of his, uh, some of the Godzilla movies, but those weren't movies. Was like, Oh, that's an Adam Wingard movie. It was like, Oh, they are Godzilla movies. Yeah. So I went into this fairly blind the first time when I saw this almost a year ago now to the day, isn't it? Um, yeah, we had our original non-recorded conversation about the guest last December 15th. Yeah, so almost a year now. Well, isn't that precious how the time goes? Um, so almost probably almost a year now today, I was probably sitting down to watch it in preparation for this. And yeah, I got to say, I was like pleasantly blown away by it, where it certainly shows some of its seams of like, this is very much a low budget movie. No, I wouldn't say low. I would say it's like middle low budget movie where you can tell there's not a, too much flash. They're definitely making the most out of every dollar that they got there. Yeah, I, uh, I would say for like an action movie or anything that involves gunplay, this is extremely it's this is a five million dollar movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, I got to say, I was like really I was really impressed at what they could do. I was really impressed at basically just like the camera work, how the script works, the raw charisma of Dan Stevens and a lot of the actors and uh, like the lock tight plotting that was going on that makes it so that you don't need a lot of money to just tell a really good, compelling story. So that was my experience walking in a year ago. And then I watched it again so that we could talk about this on recording. And it's actually a lot more fun. I wouldn't say it's a lot more fun the second time around, but there's a it's a unique experience second time around because now I know where it's going. I know like all of the synthy 80s music in the background. It's there for a reason from the jump. And I'm kind of in on the joke as we go where the first time I watched it, like I didn't realize this was kind of a tongue in cheek like, 80 slasher and they're kind of leaning into that until they lean all the way in at the very end at the uh like the john carpenter horror scene at the end in the uh in the like school dance that's when i like fully understood uh the joke that had been played on me the whole time but when i'm in on it at the beginning it was it was much more fun and especially like all the little bits where like the music's super ominous and you see dan stevens like looking shady uh where now i know where that's all headed so thanks for the history lesson and for catching us up to <laughs> where we are today. I'll go out and come out and say it. The guest is one of my very favorite movies. Uh, it is definitely one of those where it's like being in the know on it is feels good. I feel like almost everyone who sees this movie loves it though, even though it, you know, it did come out without, without much fanfare, which is shocking for a few reasons. One, uh, Adam Wingard was pretty hot shit already off of his previous movie, uh, You're Next, 
mm-hmm. which um, is a, another one that I, I think you haven't seen and that we should probably do on the pod because it's a really fun one. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a lot of hype around what he would do next because uh, that movie was really good. Um, I had seen already had seen his previous movie before that as well called um, A Horrible Way to Die. Um, I think is that is that his movie? I'm pretty sure he did a horrible way to yeah, die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a horrible way to die, and uh, then he had by the time he had done the guest, he'd already done VHS, VHS two, where he was a prime contributor to it uh, as well. You know, as an actor in I think VHS two. Yeah, he uh, was he was part of this crew that also features filmmaker Ty West, mm. who is also in the movie You're Next, uh, Joe Swanberg. Uh, who uh, is kind of part of their clique, but also like Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig. Like all of them are really? like, like would make these like sort of mumblecore movies together and appear in each other's movies. Like Joe Swanberg and Ty West are both in You're Next in fairly ah, prominent funny. roles. Uh, Adam Wingard and Ty West are the two that sort of broke off to make a name in horror for themselves, which they mm-hmm. definitely did. Ty West arguably even more so than Adam Wingard. Yeah, so I was very dialed into that whole generation of filmmakers who were doing, uh, you know, neat things with horror in the early 2010s. Mm-hmm. And I was fully pumped for the guest. And then similarly to what we talked about when we talked about Trick or Treat, thoroughly bummed and confused when I didn't have any way to see it in the movie theater. It just yeah. didn't really come out in the movie theater. If it had a, any release, it was very limited. Um, but then uh, immediately gobbled it up on Blu-ray or DVD, or it might have actually, I might have actually just done video on demand, or it might have even been streaming somewhere at that point. That was 2014, and was blown the fuck away by it. Like I had no idea who Dan Stevens was. I'd never seen Downton Abbey, um, but he was already pretty famous from Downton Abbey. Um, he also well, you weren't watching Downton Abbey in your uh, mid twenties. I was not weird, and um, but he famously, in order to accept this role and pursue his career in Hollywood, he demanded to be killed off in Downton Abbey. So he got killed off in Downton Abbey, moved to the States, appeared in this movie. He's been kind of making some movies around Hollywood ever since, but never in a role of this magnitude again so far, I would say. But I was so blown away by him in particular. Like it's one of those performances where it makes me so happy. It's so dialed in. It's so weird. It's so creepy. It's so charismatic. It's so sexy, even like he's, he's so charming and scary and funny all at the same time. And always at the same time. Yeah. It's so that, Yeah. That I feel like almost every single line he says has so much weight to it. So much uh, gravitas where it's like, I literally hang on every word that Dan Stevens says in this movie and the script is good. Right. But it's not good where it's like, you know, you're going to be hypnotized by it. Right. But Dan Stevens steely blue eyes says it. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously he's like very, he's very attractive, like obviously, but there's something about just the way he embodies this character is so fully realized that it's just He's hilarious. This is one of the funnier performances that I can think of off the top of my head. And um, frankly shocked that he isn't just a huge star at this point. Like, let's say you were just scanning through the Rotten Tomatoes reviews for this. 
this movie's sitting at a firm like 92, 93% or something. And almost every single one is like mesmerizing performance by Dan Stevens, yeah, yeah. star making performance by Dan Stevens. Like Dan Stevens is the reason this movie works so well. You think he like didn't sleep with Harvey Weinstein or something? He didn't, he didn't beat off enough American men. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or beat off the wrong ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to drop um, some audio from an interview that he did that will explain <laughs> my beating off American men joke. Put it at the beginning so they know what all these jokes mean. We'll see. <laughs> so you are, you play, I mean, you may play this apparent all American hero. Don't want to spoil the plot, but you're not a conventional not hero. It seems, sure. Um, this is you as an all American. And a big opportunity for you in Hollywood. You must have had to beat off a lot of American men to get this part. <laughs> Why does that make you giggle? Did you not have to beat them off? You had to, to get stick? the role. There was imagine there was quite a few men up for the role as well. There were. There were. Um... <laughs> and compose yourself. I. <laughs> Okay, Dad, I... <laughs> why are there lots of other Americans up for this role? I guess there were. When I sat down with the director, Adam Wingard, it was very apparent that we had a very similar twisted sense of humour and we wanted to Clearly. have a lot of fun with this and make people laugh with it. And uh, and that's exactly what you've done to me this morning. <laughs> uh, and I hope we can do with the guest, you know. Um, I, think it's a, I think it's a riot. A fun fact I was looking at, um, you know what two movies he's attached to right now? Two, like, uh, franchises, I suppose. Uh, Thundercats, or sorry, Adam Wingard. Thundercats oh, okay. and Face Off Two. Adam Wingard's gonna make Face Off Two. He's at least attached to it right now. Oh, that's amazing! Um, <laughs> I'm very excited for that. Um, that's cool. I mean, because uh, Godzilla versus Kong did gangbusters business. Oh yeah, and then he was invited back for this, you know, this new one that's coming out. I. I think Dan Stevens is in it. Oh, is he? That's good. Yeah, so that'll be fun. Like that makes me actually excited to see it that Dan Stevens and Adam Wingard are making another movie together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know there there is hope for him. But I I honestly when I saw this movie I was like this dude is going to be the talk of the town like immediately. And um and no, but he's good in other things. He's good in the movie Eurovision. He's good in the movie um or no the TV show Legion. Which is oh, like a, kind TV of a show. lesser known, um, like X Men universe storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the Beast in Beauty and the Beast, but he was like under the CGI through most of it. Could he go like but a Scarsguard route and just start becoming like weird monsters? Yeah, I mean, he he him and um, uh, Alexander Scarsguard are actually pretty similar. I bet they yeah. I bet they audition for similar roles. Yeah, I can see that. Um, but he, uh, when Justin Roiland from uh, Rick and Morty fame uh, got canceled and you know fired from both Rick and Morty and Solar Opposites, ever since then, for the last couple seasons, Dan Stevens has been the lead voice actor in Solar Opposites. Really? What uh, a replacing, weird I love this repla- Replacing Justin Roiland. Yeah. And um, he's, in, he's in some other movies that are coming out. He's in a movie with um, uh, Hunter Schaefer from euphoria like in a in a horror movie called cuckoo that should be coming out pretty soon and uh he also uh does one of the voices in uh, the boy and the heron oh, that's uh fun. so i'll be excited to see or you know hear him in that movie although i'm most excited for robert robert pattinson, pattinson. yeah 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 dan do you have any earthly idea why dan stevens is not currently like a 
big A-lister. You know, you've you've made a very compelling argument for why you should. And yeah, I'm actually kind of at a loss. I mean, it's almost one of these things. So I, I was talking to a buddy about this the other day about like Edward Norton kind of reminds me of that where he was the biggest thing in Hollywood for about five years. And then all of a sudden yeah. fell off like somewhere between Fight Club and American History X. And all of a sudden you don't see him again. And he just pops up in like indie art house films. And usually when that stuff happens, the first thing in my mind is like, who did he piss off? Like, what well, what opinion did he have that's unfortunate or or that rubs someone the wrong way? Like, what's not marketable about this guy? But like everything that you're describing about Adam or not Adam Wingard about Dan Stevens, it's like it seems like he's a perfectly charming, good to work with kind of dude. And yeah, I'm I'm really at a loss for why he's not basically yeah why is not one of the leading men in like major action blockbusters at this stage or or but yeah why why he hasn't been cast in a marvel film at this point really yeah maybe maybe it's maybe we're totally off the mark here and he's got a little bit more of a big picture in mind where he doesn't want to shoot his shot and just like gun after like oh i'm gonna be like the silver surfer in fantastic four or something like that yeah yeah maybe but or, and Stevens, or maybe... if you're listening to this hit us up please let us know we'll bring we'll re-record this entire podcast you can be a guest you can be the you can guest, be the guest. <laughs> <laughs> yes he can stupid um uh okay well uh, we're we're off we're off track here <laughs> what do you think it is that makes him so fucking good in this movie. So my first thought is the fact that the, the beat off jokes that he keeps hammering over and over, hammering the beat off jokes, um, is the fact that he is English. Uh, like if you hear him in actual interviews, he has this posh English accent, and so he and he's competing with a bunch of American men for this like just the most American idealized man on the planet kind of role, almost to a comical degree. And it made me think about like, this is sort of a, a cliche among like immigrant, immigrant communities where uh, <clears throat> in the English, like um, I think it's a book, Oh, satanic verses. I think I was reading where it's about uh, Indian immigrants where it's like, they're more British than the British or to be like, to, to come into an outside context because you know all of their cultural signifiers, but you're not a part of it, you can kind of heighten it. So a British guy trying to play an American character can be more American than Americans because he can, he can kind of see it from the outside and then he can tweak that stuff to make it even higher, which like perfectly plays into this role where he's this um, almost simulacrum of an American man, but like, in a way that's a little absurd that I think an actual American would have trouble doing. It's like, you know, Americans actually have a really hard time doing them. Like, like try and do an American accent right now. It would be hard for you to do, but if you have a British person do an American accent, they can kind of play into this like really heightened kind of goofy version of the American accent. The same way that we do like stupid Harry Potter, posh British accents. Um, oh, Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, we get to have more fun with it where to them it's like, Oh, that's like a stupid fucking accent. Uh, but I think that's why he was so good for the role because you see him just standing there uh, without him opening his mouth to reveal he's British. And he does look like just your perfect propaganda poster for like a World War II Marine or something like that. Like you're just true blue American man. And that's what this role required. 
as not to be an actual person, but to be this sort of idealized version that I think it takes an outsider perspective to uh, really accomplish. Yeah, um, I a thousand percent agree with that. And I'm, that's going to play right into my recommendation at the end of the episode. Ooh. Yeah, I also so you already revealed thing. my recommendation, too. That's fun. See if you can figure it out. Um, I think the other thing is, is, and what you said is dead on, but also, uh, just simply he's so in on the joke. Like, yep, yep. yep. He's not like a lot of the time you'll be like, you'll hear things like, oh, that performance was so funny because the person was playing it straight. Like it's not funny. Right. And like a lot of the time, like comedy is about the person and, not being in on the joke, right? Uh, I'm thinking of like but, uh, Mark Wahlberg and Boogie Nights. Sure, yeah, but in this, like, there's no doubt about it. Like, the style of the movie is um, campy enough to where if we feel like David is sort of in on the joke and winking at us, it's fine and it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Dan Stevens has said in interviews like he wanted to do the movie because he and Wingard got together and started talking about it and both of them were just like laughing their asses off, mm-hmm. cracking inappropriate jokes. They they realized they both had like a similar like sick sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And man, it comes across like he he's just so funny. Like he really, really, really like imbues every like slightly funny line with enough menace and like enough, like almost like snidely um, just, yeah. I mean, menace is the word that it just hits my like dark comedy, funny bone so yeah. hard. Like I think of um, like one of my favorite lines is when they're in the bar and he's like, <laughs> he pulls out like a, like a wad of hundreds to like pay the bartender to buy like those football players, like, you know, like wussy drinks. And the kid is like, Oh my God, are you like rich or something? And he's just oh. like, blows him off. Yeah. Cash is easy to get. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, pardon me. That's a loaded thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. But it's such or, like or, a, like that's such like a cool guy, like eighties American muscle action uh, film thing to say. Yeah, or when he's like, or when he's like, I want to buy each of those ladies a blowjob shot. And then, like, the guy's like, You want to buy something for their fellas? He's like, Do I look like I want to buy something for their fellas? He's so leaned in. It's so funny. Yeah, it's so good. Or like when shit really starts to go off the rails at the end, where he's like, He's like giving the pep talk to like the kid in the family, and he's like, Well, so what if they're bigger than you? If they're bigger than you, then you take a knife to school. And if they take it away from you, then you go around at, at night and burn all, down all their houses with their families inside. What's the worst that could happen? Where, that's like, like that's like revealing what like the tough guy bravado of like 80s action stars. Like that's really what they're kind of saying if you take their ethos seriously. And and I'm thinking that too, where uh, at towards the end when he's quote unquote defeated. Um, he's laying there and like saying tough guy, cool American warrior things where he's like, I don't blame you. I would have done the <laughs> same thing. <laughs> and it's like that, that actually does feel like something speaking of the whole uh, solar opposites of it all. Like that feels like something that would be in a Rick and Morty bit of uh, like yeah. interdimensional cable or something. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Like, yeah. Like, Oh yeah, Marty. In 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 this reality, that uh, the the Terminator is like uh, he's in your family. He's your guest. Yeah, the Terminator's <laughs> your guest. 
All right, well, let's let, let Marty. Let's see. Let's see what happens if you if the if the Terminator is your, your, the guest at your house. Oh man, it is. It's so much fun. Yeah, yeah, so much fun. And and that that's a good segue into just like just how much this movie was riding the wave of eighties nostalgia that just completely permeated like the mid to late. But I would uh, say this is before. 90s. This like uh, it might have been right before, like let's say like it and Stranger Things. It and Stranger like, Things. It was like 2016, 2017. Yeah, this was a couple years before, but you know it, it's definitely like part of that, right? I, it really strikes me how like a lot of a lot of the like friction or humor comes from like maybe joking around or like pointing at certain things that like topics that are like no longer funny. And like the, uh, I don't know the like the the un- how uncomfortable that is. Like the line I just quoted about him bringing a knife to school. Like school violence, not a funny thing anymore. But in, in the eighties, that's it's sort like of, a cheeky joke, right? Right. But in this, it's like the kid hears that and he looks fucking horrified. Yeah, like, what the fuck are you talking about, guy? Right. And that man, that gets a lot of that gets a lot of um, just a lot of mileage in this yeah, movie. Yeah. Is like. And where something another like less interesting movie would is would just ride a wave of eighties nostalgia. This movie is undercutting it at every turn. Well, because it's important to like to ground it in the fact that this was a movie in twenty fourteen set in the current day. But like Dan Stevens is like this weird eighties action star that like just happens to be in twenty fourteen. Which and we can get into this. I would like the whole time. I thought we were in the heart of Texas, which you had pointed out. There's no evidence to that. Like there, there's, there's nothing that points to the fact that we are indeed in Texas. I just kind of assumed we were in it because of how just like meat and potatoes Americana this all is. And especially the character uh, that Dan Stevens plays a uh, quote unquote in scare quotes, David. Um, he's got this charming, genteel Southern accent. I feel like everyone else around there has this sort of Southern sensibility particular Texan sensibility and it's just like playing really leaning all the way into like these lowest common denominator American tropes if I could call it that is that disparaging I don't know that's fair um but yeah but and like I said with like Dan Stevens perfect I think you needed a British person here because you need sort of a fish out of water to kind of that their understanding of American culture probably was brought up given his age through 80s action movies and so that's like probably his first impressions of like what an american man is so he's like tongue-in-cheek playing into that yeah and and all of i mean all not even just his performance obviously his performance is really supporting some like solid foundations there's so many like just these tropes that are no longer uh looking back on them you, you see the camp all the way but the movie like and the movie doesn't shy away from it the movie is like look at this this is campy let's laugh at this together like i think of when uh micah moreau's character he wants to use the bathroom and she thinks her brother's in same thing (laughs) he opens the door there's like this like really really like sexual 80s synth going on gratuitous amounts of steam the steam literally blows her hair back and he comes out like with like wearing only a towel. His he's like oiled and he's like, Oh, sorry. Did I oil yourself down when you shower? 
<laughs> I have baby oil in my shower. <laughs> and, you know, in the 80s, that would have been played completely sincerely. Yeah, it would have been like movie. Sylvester Stallone. It's like, look how hot this man is. Isn't he so impressive? And we would we would have been meant to take it seriously, but in this, it's just hilarious. Or like he comes in and like they're in the like the party, and he went to go get the kegs. Oh, and like the movie, the, the movie's like just the, the like bass and like the the synthy score is like pounding. Yeah, he's got one like in a fireman carry, the other literally just haphazardly just kind of holding it. Like, which like down you know, I've, I've handled kegs before. There's just no way you can like maybe the one on his shoulder you can hold it that way, but you cannot right. hold a full keg well, under your arm. I mean, it's an it's some early foreshadowing that he's actually Captain America. Yeah, yeah and yeah. Um, by oh, the that's way, really interesting. We should. Wait, wait, wait. Pull- yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, let's pull on that thread that he is Captain America because by but, 2014, no, no, no. Captain America literally, literally this literally the same origin story as Captain America. Yeah. And um, yeah, like it, it's basically like, hey, what if we take this all American hero, literally give him the exact same backstory as Captain America, but he basically war has done to him what it should what what it does in real life <laughs> yeah it, yeah it's a very interesting uh yeah going on the 80s nostalgia and like our depiction of what our warriors are like and how we still kind of live with that today with captain america that's a great wow i never really thought about that that actually <laughs> deepens this film even more where yeah captain america is a result of world war ii and sort of what i would argue is the last war that you know, most people in the U.S. would say that was a good thing that we did. Wars after World War II, now it starts getting really murky in a hurry, uh, where, uh, quote-unquote, David is a result of our second invasion of the Middle East in Afghanistan. And this is 2014, where, you know, the fatigue has more than set in on our involvement in the Middle East. So, like, this is what the Captain America of the invasion of Iraq would look like, wouldn't it? Yeah. You'd come back all fucked up, but like, (laughs) but even, I would think even more interestingly, like, yeah, very charming, very like there, there are points of this movie where I'll admit, like he did really cool shit. And I'm like, fuck yeah, that's a cool dude. Like the whole bar scene fight is badass, And it's like, it's really impressive. I'm like, Oh man, that's so cool. And like, I can't help like the, you know, the, the American boy in me who grew up on American media. It's like, fuck. Yeah. That's like such a, that's like such an aspirational, like, Oh, that's like what a man is. Yeah. He takes control and he like puts the bad guys in their place. And he's the good guy. Like just as simplistic as like a Marvel uh, depiction of Captain America is, but yeah. And it it plays on those tropes and it kind of gets you in that sort of lane and all of a sudden just rips it to shreds at the end in but while still sticking to the tropes of American action films. Wow. Yeah. This film is even smarter than I thought. Wow. That's a lot of fun to think about. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's keep one on that thread because we, um, this movie does have, I would argue this movie does um, an effective job of like kind of taking the American military culture to task. Mm-hmm. Like it does have like this sheen of, irony and humor the whole time and what you described where the movie does actually play into some of our baser all badass look at him he's fucking him up uh he's so funny while he does it too type of but 
Do you think that that sheen of irony and humor and incredulousness undercuts the messaging? So I think about the way this movie is about the strain on loved ones who like lose someone mm-hmm. to, you know, the, the military machine. I think of that dehumanization, how David's literally been programmed to be inhuman. I think of like the, like, issues around mental health and how this movie is literally just about like an everyman soldier trying to reintegrate into society that he will never be fully welcomed back into. Mm-hmm. Does the movie effectively convey all that stuff? Or do you think it's a little bit too undercut by its campiness? For me personally, I would say yes, it succeeds. And because particularly a satire has to do this where a great satires understand why the things that they're satirizing are appealing, why they're seductive. And so they need to seduce, like the very, very best, seduce you into it, kind of get you to like uh, get your uh, your sense of enjoyment now is the exact thing that they're going to then indict you for at the end. So it, it makes you it gets you on his side. It makes you think, wow, Dan Stevens is charming. He's he's very polite. Oh, he's so capable. He can take out the, the bad guys. He can protect his family or the the people around him that are important to him. It's like, yeah, this is, this is a heroic figure, like uh, in a particular way that American audiences are taught. That is what a heroic American man is mm-hmm. like. Yeah. And then by using those exact same traits to then flip it all of a sudden and yeah. make you have yeah. to reflect on those traits and make you reflect like, wow, what is it about Dan Stevens and his character and his portrayal that I was so bought in and I was so impressed by. And I was like actually a little affectively like in on that. Now I need to like reflect on myself and think like, Oh shit. Like, yeah. Some of the stuff that I was praising in him earlier, like this is actually rotten. And yeah. that's I think really good satire can, when it succeeds, that's what it does to an audience. Yeah. The, to- the tone of this movie is like a good spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine go down. Yeah. 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 The very, yeah. uh, um, like I've said in episodes before, I think Haneke is excellent at that exact kind mm. of satire where he he gives you what you want, he shoves your face in it, and it's like, that's what you want, isn't it? How's it smell? How's that? How's that? How's that feel? But yeah, you're like, oh shit, oh, it's actually bad. Sorry, yeah, oh man, just even more on the performance side, and this is the writing and the directing too, but also, my god, like Dan Stevens is the best. I, I love their moments where. I've seen this movie so many times. Like this is one of my <laughs> wife's favorite movies as well. And every once in a while we're just like, should we watch the guest? Yeah, let's watch the guest. I've probably seen the guest like, I don't know, 10, 15 times. <laughs> um, there are certain points where I don't know if it's quote unquote, David putting on a character, keeping his mask on because he's pretty much fooling everyone around him all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Or if it's some of the true pathos of him as a human being actually coming out. And a lot of it has to do when, whenever he's talking about being back there in Afghanistan or, or Iraq, I think he was in Afghanistan specifically. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was mixing. And, yeah. Like, Afghanistan. And Dan Stevens performance makes me question uh, you know, how, how sincere he is. And I, I like to read it as he is sincere and he really is troubled on a human level about some of the things he saw. But there's a great moment where he and Micah Monroe are driving away from the party that they went to. And she's talking about like her boy for her shitty drug dealing boyfriend. And he decides right there, he's going to fuck up 
all of that shit and remove all that shit from her life. And, uh, but we don't know that yet. And, um, and he like is just staring into space with that ridiculously believable, just thousand yard shell shock stare that he has. And he's like, man, if I had a girl like you waiting at home for me, I wouldn't have gone to the desert to get shot at. And he says it like with so much fucking weight and conviction. And it's like, Oh man, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever fucking heard. And that's so sad. And I like to read it that that's real. Yeah. Right. That's not his programming. That's not his like and we can, robotic mission or whatever. That's literal. And, and yeah, we can uh, kind of segue this into what I thought was the most fascinating thing about this and where I think the satire really like takes its knife and really twists it. It's like this is a story about the chickens coming home to roost. And it's a it's a discussion of American history and American culture and the, and the stories that we tell ourselves about how we got from our origins to here and the juxtaposition of our, for lack of a better word, our national mythos compared to the, the lived reality of the shit that people did for us to live the lifestyle that we have and the, the inconsistencies there and the, the almost like schizophrenic nature of American culture um, and this is it like on full display where, you know, I'm currently sitting here uh, with full Irish blood in Southern California where I just do not belong <laughs> in any way, shape or form. Like for most of human history, this has been uh, somewhere that's been cultivated, that's been lived in, that's been uh, existed in a sort of symbiotic nature with indigenous people and something happened something something happened i don't know what you know i don't know the pilgrims came out here and gave them turkeys or something i don't i don't remember what they taught me in history class but the the just you know pervasive and deep violence of the american project especially in the west um where this i like i said i presume this is texas uh it was shot in new mexico as you had pointed out but this is at least in the american west uh clearly by the environment and and the just like the the national amnesia that we have about what was required for us to gain all this wealth, for us to gain all this land, for us to gain all this power, um, has effects, has blow blowback, for lack of a better word. And I think uh, the character of quote unquote David is a manifestation of that, and we see this in so many weird, peculiar ways in American culture, like our weird obsession with guns, our hyper violent culture, yeah. our like j- just the fact that we are a settler uh, nation, like where where people yeah. that this was not an empty continent we showed up, we succeeded in genociding an entire population of people that lived on an entire goddamn continent, and we don't talk about it, we don't know about it because it's been erased. And so what does that do to a people that are still perpetuating that project as fervently and as patriotically as not only Dan Stevens character, but like this family and this community, they are all backing this project with like full throated uh, sincerity. And yeah. And what that, yeah. What, what, what that lived experience is like, I think it really in a satirical way, like they turned it up a little bit, but, only a little bit, I would say. Like this, this is very true to like just what it's like to live in, for lack of a better term, like conquered territory. Sure, yeah, and I, I think a lot of the, a lot of the like thrust of some of David's off-screen 
actions and the ways that he, in his like perverse way, he's helping the family. A lot of it is just symptomatic of the American experiment and just like late stage capitalism. Like he literally like kills a guy so that the dad can like can get a promotion at work, can be more financially secure. It's not funny, but yeah, earn earn, earn more of his wife's respect. He literally like the moment David decides he's gonna fucking kill that guy's um uh comp competitor at work, he's like, I think your wife respects you, sir. Mm. And you just see in his head, he's like, I- I'm gonna fucking kill that guy for you. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, or like he. Uh, you know, he kills those, kills those other guys who are like one of them's also uh, a veteran for like selling oh, guns. Yeah, he's a uh, he's Navy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, well, I guess they're you know like an army guy doesn't need a whole lot of uh, <laughs> a whole lot of uh, uh, reason to kill a Navy guy. No, <laughs> um, but uh, but also just like the other guy, he, he like he frames the boyfriend because he's a drug dealer and it's like all of it is like symptomatic of just like people struggling through you know this this capitalist society this society that winner take all like there's no sense of uh communal bonding or working together towards achieved goals it's just i'm gonna get mine at the expense of others and it's just like i've been saying over and over it's just dialing up to 11 where instead of uh, oh, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to crawl my way up the corporate ladder, no matter you know who I bloody on the way up. It's like, no, I'm going to fucking kill my competition, um, which is very much like an ethos that, you know, we don't condone murder, obviously, but we do condone, uh, you know, stepping on or we, we uh, celebrate the people who are at the top. We celebrate those who have succeeded. We celebrate um you know the entrepreneurs and the mavericks and the whatever we want to call them but they inherently they can only get to that position through the commiseration and the abject poverty of who knows how many people and especially tying it to uh afghanistan tying it to the middle east the whole american project and the wealth that we are sitting on right now comes from not only the the slavery of black and brown bodies uh, from the beginning of our project. But ever since that's gone away, like we still need cheap labor somewhere and by God, we keep finding it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, it's, um, it's kind of sort of like sad. It's like the, the tragedy of quote unquote David as a character in that we, we learn uh, through like subtle hints, but they're there and they're clear that really he's there uh his whole reason for being is very altruistic from his point of view. Like he lives, Mm -hmm. he is literally doing everything he can to help his dead friend's family within his Um, own understanding of what help means. Right. And what it means for him is violence, but also it's helping them advance against their competitors kind of within this like capitalist framework. Right. And it's just so sad that like his his what what we have to believe is is like his good heart has been perverted to such a ridiculous extent. Which actually that's that's interesting. Bah, I lisped. That's interesting that you bring that up because uh, that's actually uh, I forget where I read it somewhere, but it's um, something that the U.S. military in real life realized that they needed to start doing in uh, the Middle East 
is they, they needed to start giving American soldiers volunteer projects and community-oriented projects because what it turned out that they uh, that they later really understood is that most people in the U.S. military, they join for altruistic reasons in their own mind. Like they want to help spread freedom, democracy, blah, 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 blah. Like we know, you know, you and I, us enlightened people on the West Coast, we know that's bullshit. But... Uh, <laughs> But like to someone who joins the military in their head, they want to protect that. Like Dan Stevens, they want to protect their family. They want to protect their homeland. They want to uh, liberate people. They want everyone to live the good life. They have good reasons in their heart. It's altruistic. Uh, and then they go out and uh, to they go abroad and they realize what they're actually doing. And it's soul crushing, which is, you know, probably no short reason why there's so much like PTSD, why there's so much veteran suicide, why there's so much mental illness among people who come back from these situations is this just this square that they can't circle. So uh, a strategy of the U.S. military has been to give them these altruistic missions of like helping children or food drives or things like that, where uh, it's these people who want to do good, who desperately want to help the world. But they've been they put themselves in the American military complex where that's just they you just can't do that. It's not designed to do that. And right. they they like that bubble gets burst in their mind and like the absolute uh, psychic death that has to occur for someone with a, a moral spine and clarity. I can't imagine that it, it would probably cause you to be someone like Dan Stevens. Yeah, well, and that's exactly what happens to him because yeah. we see him throughout the movie, even though he's doing it like in, a like you know, uh, immoral ways. He's he's his mission is is what he views as altruistic to like help these people that need him. But what overrides that is when they start to breach, you know, the confidential nature of the program. They start to f- to see the sort of the dark underbelly of what he actually is kind of within the army and um it's not until like they start to see those cracks that he completely shifts into just full-on slasher mode well uh and we can get into the the slasher this all too because i do love this film as a slasher but that does remind me of like you know there are dissidents within the u.s army it's not a monolith uh there are people who went through their experience and then they come out and they are vehemently opposed to the military machine um they don't fare well when they, they they leave the military and they immediately start criticizing the military. I mean, you can see the whole experience of uh, Vietnam and draft dodging and people coming back and protesting yeah. in their fatigues. Like, it doesn't turn out well. And especially in this uh, film particularly where Dan Stevens is only... I keep calling him just Dan Stevens. His name's quote-unquote David. But um, his only... First off, the only way to uh, address him from the military industrial complex where it's actually very fitting that this is a private organization, a private military organization that's going after him. Their only way to resolve this issue or to deal with this issue is through extreme violence and extreme violence within civilian populations, which I thought was very interesting uh, the way that it all played out. Um, And you see this kind of play out in real life ways where when you see the self-destructive nature of veterans of, um, it's not a a secret that a lot of uh, mass uh, examples of violence are carried out by people with military training, by people who are veterans, because like they not only have 
they have the the ability and the skill, unfortunately, to pull these off. And they also have this really traumatic experience in their background yeah. where any sort of mental health issues or any sort of of problems that they they might have encountered while they were abroad are only going to get exacerbated and they they are capable of doing something about it and their only way that like a big way that they know how to express it is through violence because that's how they were trained like what how else would you know how to resolve a conflict like that you know um and i think the guest shows that in really stark ways um which can uh, we'll put a pin in that and go into why i don't think this became a uh a franchise because I think it could have twisted that knife a little harder. I think that would have gotten into this conscious a little harder, but I do love like what you're saying by the end of this movie, it becomes a full on capital S slasher. And it is so fucking fun, especially on the first viewing when I didn't know that that's what it was doing. When they go into the, the school prom and you got all the synths, all the neon colors, all the smoke pumping around. You got yep. a spooky guy coming after you. Oh, yep. man. It's just mwah, yeah. icing on the yeah. cake. He, he has his Michael Myers vibe. It's literally the Halloween dance. The Car- John Carpenter S score is just pounding. They're literally in like a maze. Just It's full of fog. He's literally <laughs> in full-on Michael Myers slash Terminator mode where you know, all bets are off. The other shoe is dropped and he's fully just after them. He's killing everyone. And um, yeah, it just, it just, it, it does the slasher thing where you think he's dead and then he's back somehow at the end because he's super. Oh, yeah. Then he, yeah, he limps away in the firefighter getup. Yeah, exactly. He gives them one last little wink because even though like he like, he's, he's like admitted that they've defeated him basically and so he's not he's no longer after them <laughs> and uh yeah it's so fun like uh like they get like they get all of the that sort of heady stuff out of the way that we talked about even though they're constantly disguising it with with fun uh the best the slashers last... do that i mean that's what Halloween yeah, did definitely and then yeah the last just chase sequence is just so much fun yeah and um yeah very much way, like wearing john carpenter influence on their sleeves very much uh akin to the first couple terminator movies which you know the first terminator well both terminator movies you know have have slasher bones to them as well right yeah that, that that's a good that's a good segue into like most horror films slasher films they have they've tapped into a collective fear in one way or another. And when you were first writing about this movie a year ago, you were asking yourself the question, Hey, why did this movie not flourish? Like at the box office, why didn't it tap into the zeitgeist? It seems like it has a lot of the ingredients to reach a wide audience and to be a sleeper hit yet. It wasn't. Um, And then you had a pretty strong point of view on why that was. I think it boils down to what I was just talking about where I think, Similar to, okay, so let's ask, why did Halloween succeed as well? Why did Texas Chainsaw Massacre work as well as it did? Why did Scream work as well as it did? Like, the, the you know, some of the big iconic slasher uh, franchises where not only, of course, all three of those just technically are perfect. They they hit their horror set pieces. Uh, they hit the marks perfectly. They, they're really thrilling. But, like, you know, there's a lot of movies that are really thrilling that – they have their one moment in the sun and that's about it. 
Um, and the guest is kind of an example of that, where it, I think it hits the marks 10 out of 10 every single time. It does exactly what it needs to do the whole time. And it hints at what could have made it a franchise moving forward. And it makes you think about, okay, what, what about this movie could have tapped into subconscious fears in 2014 that could have then continued to go on. And what, what the first thing that jumps to my mind is like, this movie is very, very much about the American uh, military industrial complex and that whole project coming back and being a, a terrifying thing for middle America for, you know, the heartland. I'm just assuming this is Texas. That's, that's kind of why I thought it was Texas is because like, this is like the very, the, the very center of America, the safest part from foreign invasion and problems and things like that. Like when, when your boy, when you're from Austin, Texas and, and the, the boys go out to Afghanistan, like that's never going to come back to you, of course. Um, and this is an example of that shit. Exactly circle blowing back right to you and becoming a problem for uh small town america just like halloween i would say it brought the those issues up but i think it just could have twisted that knife a little bit harder made it a little bit clearer i don't know how you know i'm not adam wingard i'm not a hollywood screenwriter i don't know what i'm doing i just have a silly podcast uh but i really think if they would have tapped a little harder and and that's the other tricky thing is like i don't think john carpenter had in his mind the idea of neoliberalism coming back to the suburbs in the rot of post-industrial america i don't think that uh toby hooper tony hooper oh no i'm gonna get crucified. toby hooper toby hooper um had the idea of like the rural urban divide and the fears of of our idea of what's out in the unmarked countryside that people had in the seventies. Like, I don't think these were conscious things on their mind. And I don't think Adam Wingard necessarily had this consciously on his mind, but now, you know, nine years later that we can look back and say, Oh, that was a good movie, but it didn't turn into anything. I would say if I could go back and I was in the writer's room with him, it's like, Oh, here's what you gotta, you, you got a great idea here. You just got to keep, pulling that thread keep twisting that knife about the chickens coming home to roost because that's what people in 2014 are afraid of like this is obama era america and we're still in the middle east like how do people hate bush from 2000 2008 about the middle east and about our involvement there but all of a sudden those voices go away for the next eight years during the obama era but like we all know that like uh, drone strikes were going up, uh, we were sending more troops and more so than during Bush's administration, and yet we were just kind of ignoring it. So like, peel at that, pick at that scab, right? Because like this doesn't quite tap into the things that were freaking out society while it was being made, or the things that like we don't want to talk about, we don't want to think about, which right, right, or right. is the best at bringing out yeah i wonder if what would have happened if this movie did just if some you know distributor decided to invest in a wide release for this movie if it would have done done well and word of mouth would have picked up i mean part of it i do think maybe it was just you know the marketing just wasn't where it needed to be but like we were talking about well, with yeah. the retreat episode like uh, a movie that taps into the zeitgeist is going to find its audience yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this movie has in some way or another and Adam Wingard's career, 
Yeah. He's making yeah. these, you know, $150 million movies. Dan Stevens is there uh, in like, you know, the third or fourth roll down in that movie um, that's coming out next year. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll see. I would love it if the two of them, they just oh. love working on Godzilla so much together. You know, Adam Wingard maybe has his one for me, you know, you know, one for you, one for me type of thing where Godzilla was one for you. And now he gets to make one for me. And that's uh, the guest, too. I'd be all about that. Get Micah Monroe back. Get Dan Stevens back. Throw up a really, really nice little heartfelt, like dedicated to Lance Reddick in the credits. Mm, and yeah. uh, well, he he died anyway in the in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. this one. Still, you got um, some, some props. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would I I I don't see that as so outside of the realm of possibility. Like, like this movie might have a good enough cult following that a second a sequel might actually do pretty well. Yeah, and I mean, like, like as you're talking about, like the reality of making films. Maybe it's just you know Adam Wingard didn't want to make a guest too. Maybe he was just fine with it, or maybe Dan Stevens is yeah. busy when he wanted to make a guest too. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, well, Adam Wingard got pulled right into Hollywood after this. You know, a couple years later, he made the Blair Witch movie um, from 2016, and then uh, I think he did a couple of like smaller things, not like directing feature films, and then made Godzilla versus Kong and he's been working on the second Godzilla and King Kong movie ever since. So we'll see. It would be cool to see him go get back to his roots, but Godzilla versus Kong was a big hit, even though it came out in a less than opportune time. And uh, if uh, this, this next Godzilla and Kong movie is also a hit, I don't know, maybe he's just a blockbuster director from here on out. One of the first movies I watched in Seattle, I went up to a friend's place of a, Mutual co-worker of ours, and we all sat there and watched the Big Monkey Punch the Big Lizard. Good time. Love it. <laughs> right right in the middle of COVID times. Well, this was... I got there... Yeah, I don't think the vaccine was out yet, but it was right when Seattle like allowed restaurants. Like I think it was literally the week before I moved there. They're like, okay, yeah, we can start being in restaurants again. Yeah. Cool. Well, other than, you know, Big... Big monkey punching big lizard. Uh, what other movies do you recommend? Is there anything else other than big bun- monkeys punching big lizards? I'm not sure. No, listen, Godzilla minus one is all you need. Is that uh, minus one a- the big monkey? Minus um, big monkey? Yeah. Oh, don't yeah, spoil yeah. it. Oh, wait, wait. I don't want to know if there's a big monkey in it or not. No, that could be a big surprise. <laughs> yeah. But what, what, no, do recommendations. Recommendations. Uh, so, what do you recommend to fans of the guest? Uh, so if you want like a good uh, campy, cheeky send up that still leans all the way into all the reasons why you love this shit, like it doesn't it's a satire that doesn't hate its own source material. But what's really interesting is it's in its own milieu. So this is before 92, before I was born. That is Verhoeven's RoboCop. That is a yeah. perfect companion piece to this. Like uh dan stevens oh man if they made another robocop they gotta cast oh, he'd be dan stevens he'd be, he'd be perfect great. in that but um i mean verhoven really that's like far and away the best robocop right like it's the first one yeah oh yeah i mean it's the only one that's really worth a damn yeah and, and it's because it, it completely understands what it's trying to do and god damn it's so much fun um what do you have uh, before i drop my second one uh what's your recommendation along with the guest yeah i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do one i mean there, there's a lot there's a lot that you could 
point at just as far as like we've already talked about where there's direct references right and i'll just i'll get that out of the way where like clearly there's a lot of halloween in this movie um there's a whole lot of terminator and terminator 2 yeah like down to specific references like the thumbs up at the end is from terminator 2 <laughs> um oh uh the the waitress outfits like the old-timey like diner outfits like literally like, like Monroe and her friend like the way the yeah. camera goes, whoop, whoop, whoop. like it's very robotic very robotic a lot like the movie upgrade i think stole oh yeah from, yeah from the guest um but yeah even like the yeah the waitress outfits are like what sarah connor wears in terminator one um all that stuff so yeah there's there's a lot of movies where it's direct i think one movie that actually it shares even more DNA with for such a huge variety of reasons, but it's a, a satire about, you know, it's taking down some of the, the dirtiest parts of Americans, you know, Americans like CD underbelly. Like it's, it's, it's wicked core in some ways. And also like the, the toxic masculinity around it as well. And it's a movie that's like just biting satire features like a lead performance where also, every single line is funny or scary in some way. And also similarly, you know, from, uh, from, from a, a famous actor from the UK where if this role had gone to like a famous American actor, it wouldn't be nearly as incisive uh, American psycho. Uh, I was like, ah, I was trying so hard to figure out where you're going, but yeah, it's so, it is so very similar to American psycho. Um, in all of those ways and more. Um, and uh, I have always, always, always affectionately referred to this movie as Captain American Psycho. <laughs> That's so perfect. Yeah. Oh, man, I, it, I'm so it really glad that you brought like, up. It really is like, what if Patrick Bateman was Captain America? Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought up the the Amer- Captain America of it all, because you think that Adam Wingard had that on his mind when he was writing this? It's a lit- uh, Simon Barrett wrote it, but yeah. Oh, I mean, Simon Barrett, yeah, yeah. He must have been like, yeah. What if Captain America was Michael Myers or like something? Yeah. That was that must have been the pitch, right? What a fascinating, like just like mishmash of American icons, right there. Yeah, like I almost guarantee you, when he was like, "I've got writing a screenplay," he's pitching it to his buddy Adam. Yeah, what if Captain America was a psycho killer? Hmm. <laughs> ah, that's great. Um, um, oh, uh, yeah, you uh, you kind of foreshadowed my pick for since ooh. my birth. Um, another great send up of a previous era of horror films by one of the directors that you had mentioned earlier uh, that fully loves what it's uh, what it's spoofing, but at the same time deconstructing it, playing around with the tropes that are in there in order to sort of advance uh, advance what what these tropes can be if that makes sense. Uh, and that is Ty West's X. Ooh, yeah. That is a, and it's also just fucking fun. Just so, so good. Uh, yeah, X and the guest, I would slap those right next to each other as like, hey, you want to see just the sweatiest, grossest look at, I would say the South Central America of, well, the United States. Well, here you go. Watch X and the guest. Nice. Yeah. I that's that's perfect. Uh X is so good. I like Pearl even better. I'm so oh, excited Maxine, for Maxine coming out next coming year. Out. Yep. Yeah. Very good good pick. Ty West and Adam Wingard, thick as thieves, those two came up together making movies. 
Uh, Ty West, again, is in Adam Wingard's previous movie, uh, You're Next, which we should watch on the podcast because there's a lot to chew on with that one. And it's also just a ton of fun. And um, yeah, that's great. Yeah, definitely American Psycho X, Terminator 2, RoboCop. Put all those together and that's basically uh, the guest. And I think we've done it. We've we've we recorded the conversation. We've had it twice now. Wow. We actually putting this on the permanent record, and uh, we'll bid you all adieu. For concessions, so I'm nice. We did it twice. For concessions, I'm Jared, and I'm Dan. And watch how far your southern hospitality goes when you welcome in the guest.